We miss our choir every summer during their annual sabbatical season, but our hearts are also lifted in such beautiful ways by the solos which are offered in their stead. Thank you. The peace of our Lord be with you. Few verses in all of Scripture describe the Bible better than those words we read a few moments ago from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my path and a light to my feet. Of course, Careful speech requires us to say that those words from today's psalm were not written about what we call the Bible. In fact, the most meticulously careful speech of which we are capable requires us to say that there isn't anything in the Bible about what we call the Bible. Because what we call the Bible, the 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, that we call the Bible, that list was not settled on and canonized by the church until the fourth century. So the Bible never mentions what we call the Bible because what we call the Bible did not exist when the Bible was being written. But even so, what the psalmist said about the psalmist scripture, we have found to be true as well of ours. Our Bible is to us what the psalmist Bible was to the psalmist, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, a guiding light which helps us find our way, words of both grace and judgment by which we find ourselves both comforted and challenged. Sacred Scripture filling in our lives the same place Scripture filled in the life of the psalmist. A lamp for our feet and a light for our path. One very important step on the path to spiritual depth is to learn to be content to let the Bible be that. A lamp and a light to help show us the way. Because when we ask the Bible to be something other than what the psalmist called a lamp and a light to help show us the way, we usually end up sending the Bible on errands it was not written to run. Using the Bible to prop up how we live 
and back up what we think. Enlisting the Bible's authority in support of what we believe and how we live, which almost always means taking a stand on the verses that work for us and taking a pass on the verses that don't. Saying we believe in the absolute authority of every word of Scripture, but then assigning that absolute authority only to the verses that apply to other people's lives while conveniently looking the other way when it comes to verses such as Luke 14:33, Matthew 5:39, 2 Corinthians 8:15, Luke 3:11, Matthew 5:29 and 2 Timothy 2:9. Verses of scripture which if we applied them as arduously to our lives as we apply other verses to other people's lives, would leave us all with one suit, one eye, no jewelry, less security, and fewer possessions. So, we take a stand on the verses of Scripture which work for us. And we take a pass on the ones which don't. An incredibly popular, sadly hypocritical way of using the Bible. And worse still, especially in the part of the world where we live, people genuinely expect to do that all their lives and never be confronted about it. Sometimes it seems to me almost as though there is some unspoken contract out there that no one has let me in on. That no one will ever point out the blatant hypocrisy of claiming that every word in the Bible is inspired and authoritative and infallible and perfect, and then taking a stand on the ones that work for me, and taking a pass on the ones which don't. That's the sort of thing that happens when we're not content to just let the Bible be for us what Scripture was for the psalmist. A lamp and a light to help show us the way. We've talked about this a lot around here across the years, and I realize that. But... To be as honest with you as I'm capable of being, um, I have a calling 
to do something about the way the Bible gets handled in popular Christianity. I just do. And, um, and there's such a much better way. And you know that way. You know where the center of that way is to be found. When the inquirer came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 and asked which commandments in Scripture mattered most, Jesus did not say, oh, they all matter the same because every word is of equal authority and perfection. Jesus absolutely did not say that. Rather, Jesus said, well, sure, I can tell you which one matters most. It's love God with all that's in you, and I can also tell you the one which matters second most. It is almost exactly to that one, and it is love your neighbor as yourself. After which Jesus said in the very next verse, and all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments of Scripture. And as all of you already know, all the law and the prophets was all the Bible Jesus had. So when Jesus said all the law and the prophets must be interpreted in the light of love for God and love for other people, what Jesus was saying was that everything else you find in Scripture is to be read, interpreted, and measured against love for God and love for others. Now, if you want to see how that looks in real life, watch Jesus in John chapter 8. When the angry crowd brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, demanding that she be stoned, they had Scripture on their side. Deuteronomy 22:23. But Jesus didn't say to the woman, I wish I could help you through this terrible moment, but actually they're right. The Bible does say you have to be stoned. And I can't go beyond what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. Instead, Jesus interpreted the verse in Deuteronomy which called for her to die in the light of the greater and more important, yes, greater and more important commandment in the Bible that we are to love God with all that is in us and love others as we love ourselves. Or take what happened in Luke 13. When the religious leader told the bent over woman that she would have to come back some other day to be healed because Scripture does not allow for non-emergency work on the Sabbath, he had Bible on his side. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10. But Jesus didn't say to the bent over woman, I wish I could heal you. But actually, he's right. The Bible does say no work on the Sabbath, and I cannot go beyond what the Bible says. So you'll just have to come back maybe some other day. Instead, Jesus 
interpreted the verse in Exodus which called for her to wait in the light of the greater commandment which calls for us to love others as we love ourselves. And before you say, well, yeah, but that's just the way things change from Old Testament to New, think for a moment about the prophet Isaiah. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1 says, No eunuchs are welcome in the house of God. But in Isaiah 56.4, the prophet Isaiah says, Of course eunuchs are welcome in the house of God. Come on in, he says, to the same people that Deuteronomy 23.1 said, Stay out. Sisters and brothers, this is the way you live and work with the Bible. As a light and a lamp that helps show you the way, but a light and a lamp that has to be read in the light of the greatest commandment of all and in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was getting ready, remember, it's the last week of his life and he's getting ready to go back where he came from. And he says in the Gospel of John, I'm about to go back where I came from. What does he say? And after I'm gone, the Holy Bible will lead you into all truth? No. What does he say? After I'm gone, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Oh, my sisters and brothers, when the Bible was canonized in 357 A.D., when Bishop Athanasius declared those 66 books, that's it, that's the canon, we were left with a glorious, wonderful, inspired, inspiring, comforting, challenging, amazing Bible. But... When the canon was fixed and settled and done, the Holy Spirit did not buy a condo in Gulf Shores and retire. The Holy Spirit which spoke then speaks now. Always has, always will. Leading, guiding, pushing, pulling, revealing new light. New Light, a lamp and the light to help us find our way. The Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit surging and stirring and merging and leading us along the path to a deeper life with God. Amen.